Hello, and welcome to the RevOps Show. What is strategy? What's RevOps' role with strategy? Do they own strategy? And if not, what does that mean for you and your company? Today, Jess and Doug are walking through these questions, plus some more, and really getting into RevOps' role and the dangers when RevOps steps outside of that role with strategy. So with that in mind, let's jump into it. Yes. Doug. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna try to get. I'm gonna try to get a cow. No. Um, Please don't. They're going. How about this? Gardeness. Ah, uh, noldy but a goody. Oh my gosh! Yes, we're doing another Monday. You're you're making. We are. Happy. We're doing a Monday before a holiday, even. Yeah, like, is this a holiday week? Was this a holiday weekend? It, I guess technically, I think so. I guess it depends whether you're taking Monday off or not. It does. It does. Not for you and I. (laughs) I saw the morning brew described it as uh, today's a liminal day. A liminal? Liminal. Liminal. Okay. That's why you're not on the system design team, Jess. That's why. Because you don't, you don't talk about liminal ideas. It's, it's neither a weekend nor a holiday, but it is a weekend and a holiday. Ah, I see. I see. Liminal yeah. are, are the, the doorways, the things between. They're of and they're not. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jess, you're looking very genius today. I, I Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't pulled that one out in a while. Actually, I haven't worn my sales genius hat in a while. I haven't seen you wear it in a while, yeah. I've been rotating a whole new crop of hats. You have. Recently. You have. You've been repping the reds for me. I've been repping the reds. Yep. Yep. Uh, the rays. Yep. Yep. And apparently Eckerd. Eckerd College. This is, uh, got this from the Eckerd College baseball team. Got this from the head coach. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, you just going to do baseball signs for the I think we should, that's day. what we should do. We should just do a whole episode of, a whole yeah. episode of me just doing baseball signs. And <laughs> that's what we should do from now on on our calls. We should have our signs. You missed the sign. What's going on? I can go back to my, uh, Old salty days of coaching. My old salt, salty. Old salty days. That implies that you don't have salty days anymore. You you know what the scary thing is, Jess? You don't. I kind of don't. Uh, I don't. I don't want to imagine what it was like back then. Then. <laughs> My salty. The salty days today are are pretty close to the joyous days of yesteryear. Wow. Wow. But then someone finally told me. Okay. Oh, you got it. Great. Awesome. (sighs) Something for me to look forward to because I don't hear that enough at my house. Well, but here it'll be more of a message. It will. Like when our team gets all wrapped around an axle, I can just do. Let it go. Let it go. See, I think that'll, I think that'll solve everything. Yep. I think that'll solve everything. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Famous uh, Washington Redskins fan right there. Washington Commanders fan right there. <sighs> I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> I, I actually was reading something last week that 
that pointed out why he, um, what, what it was that led him to become a, a Redskins fan at the time. I forget, forget the exact. I'm going to take his, his Texas card away from him. I drove through his hometown over the weekend, actually went through Uvalde to go to the border. Isn't that, um, isn't that a restaurant? On the border? Yes, it is. It's a terrible restaurant, but yes. RevOps's role in growth strategy. Right. And, and, and I think what we're going to get at today is what does it mean for RevOps to be a strategic function or what we'd like to refer to as strategic RevOps? As, as a matter of fact, I think the, the thesis that I want to demonstrate and support today is whether companies are referring to what they're doing as RevOps or not. Tactical RevOps has absolutely taken hold and it's, it's enabled companies to get much better at what they're doing. And the result of that is they're getting weaker. Yep. Right. So, so yep. we're getting, they're getting better and they're getting weaker. And as a matter of fact, those, those companies that are really at the leading edge of this RevOps phenomenon are the ones that are taking it on the chin the hardest. And I think the, the anecdotal proof of this is the environment that they are finding themselves in today um, and the whipsaw effect that, that has um, swung through the, the tech industry broadly in the SaaS industry. So that, that's the thesis that I want to talk about. And I want to talk about okay. what I think is the missing piece. Okay. Um, and again, whether you call it RevOps or not, the the key to being able to to drive sustainable, profitable growth. As a matter of fact, um, probably was about twenty or so years ago. Bain um, came out with some research. I was reviewing some old stuff over the weekend, and what they demonstrated is that what, what the research showed was that seven out of eight companies fail to grow profitably. And and what that means is growing your profit at at a rate of return better than the true cost of capital i.e i mean the, the the thing i think gets lost in in most businesses and especially especially small businesses but i see it go well above small business is if you take a look at the total cost of growth if you were to take that capital and put it in an index fund you would generate more wealth Right. And, and, and so yep. why are you putting forth all the effort? You know, seven out of eight companies are failing to grow profitably, despite the fact that 87% um, invest in strategic planning. Yep. Yep. So um, let's start with what is strategy? Because that's, that's a word a that gets place thrown a lot. It gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. And today, there, there are many days where, where I would love to get into... Um, a deep discussion about the word strategy. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the dangers is, by the way, it's fascinating. I'm listening to the, I'm listening to a, uh, um, a book right now called uh, the Lords of strategy. Um, it's basically a history of how strategy came to be a thing um, going through all the, Consulting companies, Harvard Business 
Skull Tough is fascinating. Um, any, any, I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time that strategy has clearly had a real meaningful definition. So when we're talking about strategy, uh, and actually there is increasingly and, and has been among the real practitioners of strategy, the a very important difference. Strategy is different from planning. Strategy is different from strategic planning. And I think that we are all too often, um, and one of the things I'm actually working on, I'm writing an article right now, and I found myself using strategy, and I've begun to start replacing the word strategy with the word plan. And I find that far more often than not, that's actually, plan is actually the right word. So so let's talk about what strategy means from the standpoint of, of the role that we're talking about. And, and, and to be clear, I, I am not saying that RevOps is responsible for strategy. As a matter of fact, to be clear, I am saying that RevOps is not responsible for strategy. They, they should be playing an active role in the development of strategy. But what RevOps's real role is, is they are the bridge from strategy to execution and and back. They are the conduit, right? They are they are the translator to 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 translate strategy into the actions and execution of an organization and and to provide the the feedback systems and the insights back up into strategy so that strategy so that the strategy can adjust as it as it's appropriate. So, so from, so I, I believe, as a matter of fact, I don't believe I know strategy is, is organizational, right? So, so the strategy is set at like the, the total organization. It, it, it's not just, you know, while we focus our business on go to market strategy, um, go to market strategy is, is simply a piece of strategy for, for purposes of this discussion. I think there's two components of strategy to, to give it more of an operational meaning of what is strategy. I've probably read far more than any individual person should read on strategy. So I've done that for, you, so that Thank for, you. for our listeners so that they don't have to. Um, you know, my, my favorite and I think the most useful definition of strategy today is uh, comes from Richard Rommel, um, who, who basically defines strategy as a diagnosis of the problem which by the way is also a diagnosis of the opportunity problem and opportunity are, are two sides of the same coin. So a diagnosis of the problem opportunity, a guiding policy, and that's really what strategy is. Um, if you go back to the father of strategy, Michael Porter, who said strategy is the ongoing process of making trade-offs, making the trade-offs required to successfully deliver on your value proposition. That's what strategy is. That, that's what makes strategy different from a plan is that it is flexible. It provides a guiding policy so that different people in different places with different viewpoints, different perspectives, and different priorities can align to at least relatively the same endpoint, the same center point, the same North Star, whatever you want to call it. And then a coherent set of actions. Those actions aren't, aren't the, you know, do this, do this, do this. It's not the specific plan. It's more a coherent set of initiatives. What are the key elements that, that must be done so that we can execute on that policy to address what we've determined that, that needs to be addressed? Now, keep in mind that what that means as a strategy is a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yep. It is a diagnosis. It is not, um, you know, it is not definitive. Now, another great, probably the the best action oriented. Okay, how do I apply strategy? The, the the one weakness of it is it very it is very large business oriented. Is the book Play to Win written by A.G. Laffley um, with Roger Martin? Laffley was the CEO at uh, Procter and Gamble, so it's very Procter and Gamble centric, which makes it a little bit hard to to translate to you know to mid market and light enterprise. But but it's still yep. Um, if you look at the core elements of it, strategy is about playing to win. So now now realize playing to win means something different in business. As Simon Sinek, as we've talked about before, have have shared, business is an infinite game. It's not a finite game. So there's um, yep. So one element and the first element of strategy is to define what is winning, which also involves defining the game that you play. So as another example, one of our takes, which when we started sharing it was very, at least not popular to unpopular. And I see more people beginning to pick up on it. I like to think it's because of us, Jess, is, is the whole question about clean data and clean database and you have to clean your database first, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it, it's interesting because as you know, I love data. I live on data. Yep. There, there's no such thing as too much data, but here's what I know in, in the game that we play and the games that our customers play. If, if winning the game comes down to who has the best data set, we lose. We're not going to win that game, right? We're not going to beat yep. Amazon. I'm not going to beat those other players. That's not the game that we're going to win. So, so part of the reason why we don't emphasize data the same way that, that the theoretical context of data comes in is, you know, how much effort are we going to put forth there? What's the cost of that versus what is the, you know, what's the juice for the squeeze factor, if you will. So, so defining your game is crucially important because you can't manage trade-offs. You and to some degree, the diagnosis of the problem or opportunity is, in essence, the defining your game. W- without yeah. understanding that, you can't have a guiding policy. The next question is, where do we play? Where do we, right? What? Now, that, that could be geographic, but it doesn't have to be geographic. It could be verticals. It could be horizontals. There's a whole other element of, of what's the game that we're going to play? What's the game that we're the best at? Who... And where, so so where has a lot of who to it. Um, and by the way, I think an important element of the where to play, where to win, is answering the question, who do we want to be a hero to? And what is it that we're a hero for? Which then goes to the third play is, how are we going to play? How are we going to win? Right? So, so that's the strategy, right? Um, now, RevOps's job is to make sure that those elements are clearly articulated so that they can bridge, so that they can translate, so that they can manage that. Um, RevOps should be sensitive to that, should be paying a lot of attention to that. Um, if, if that's not a core element of, of what's going on, if, if, and by the way, that's going to drive what's the economics, what's your, what, what are your go-to-market economics, what's your go-to-market motion, what's the, what's the methodology that you're going to like, all those things really come about based upon what is your strategy. So you need to have those questions. Um, There there needs to be a clear philosophy, a clear policy 
on those elements. That, that doesn't mean it's fixed in stone, right? But, but it needs to be clear um, and, and the rationale for it also needs to be clear because it, it's more in the rationale. And, and I find, you know, what <clears throat> one of the reasons that strategic RevOps is so important is when you get to the line aspects, it's like, okay, just give me the, like sales is, okay, just tell me where you want me to play. I got, I got work to do, right? Um, RevOps is, is, you know, if you can build robustness there, that's what enables you to stand up um, and, 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 and to sustain the growth and to sustain scale, which we're going to get to. Um, I'm going to circle back to this a little bit later when we get into some of the dangers that people deal with and the nature of conditions, et cetera. Yep. So as you, so once you have that policy and once you have kind of that, that strategy outlined, your hypotheses outlined, what are the things that you need to take into account? Like what are, what are the important things that you need to make sure you're, you're paying attention to as you move into executing on that? So, I mean, there, it, it's kind of funny in, 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 in the question that you ask here, because to a very large degree, the answer to that question mm -hmm. It determines how well is your strategy articulate, <laughs> right? B because that guiding policy that, you know, the, the, it, it drives a set of initiatives. It, so, so when you're not clear on that, when, when, when the question is, well, where do we start? Right. Well, what do we do? Well, what do we need to pay attention to? That, that is a symptom that you really haven't defined what your game is. You really haven't defined where and how you're going to play. How are you going to win? Um, I, I think, I think the danger that you have to be careful of is that the the most tangible elements of of progress are not found are not the most foundational elements of progress. So, so you need to understand that that there are dynamics that are in mm -hmm. here, and, and 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 I think the other element where RevOps from a go to market strategy plays is. RevOps is responsible for, for, for a balance. It is back, back when I used to play golf, I haven't played golf in a long time, but at one point I played pretty fair amount of golf. And, you know, I got to the point where there were really only two problems in my game, right? The short <laughs> game and the long game. Other than that, I was, good. um, yep. you know, there, there's, there's this debate when we talk about business and strategy, you're playing the short game or you're playing the long game. Um, the, the reality is you need to be able to play both games, right? If, if you play too much of the long game, if you're overbalanced to the long game, you, you've, you've got a great idea and everybody steals your profits. If you play too, if you play too much to the short game, you, you, you see some short-term wins, you burn your market, right? You really have to balance those two things, right? And, and, and so it's important to understand some very standard um, market dynamics and some dangers, right? So, so um, you know, RevOps is not the captain of the ship. RevOps is the navigator. Re Re RevOps oh, is, is the RevOps is the. Uh, for for the record, I have not like thought too super deeply in there, <laughs> so I'm I reserve the right in a future conversation to completely say something different. Um, but you know, I I asked a question of the of of our of our group this morning. So is RevOps responsible for execution? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, the obvious answer is, of course they are. Why, why else do they exist? 
And, and, and make right. no mistake, there, there's, I mean, they don't abdicate. Like there's no, there's not an abdication of it. But RevOps's right. job is to provide the the context, the insights, and the data necessary for different groups to do what they need to do. So like at the end of the day, if sales is not selling effectively or marketing is not marketing effectively, is that RevOps's job? I don't think it is because if it's RevOps's job, then RevOps loses any any meaning. So, so I think I had told you that my standpoint was that some of the pieces that you had laid out, like process and methodology, dictate that. So I think it's RevOps's job to point out the indicators of a change needs to be made or if something's working or not working. That's, that's what I meant by dictate. I think it's RevOps's job. So this, this feeds into the, what you said about navigation. It's RevOps's job to point the way. Like we need an adjustment. This isn't working. This is working. How do we accelerate that? I, I, I think that's the role of RevOps. I think RevOps contributes to that meaningfully, but is it RevOps's job to say, we need to do account-based, not demand-gen. No, no, no. Is it RevOps's job to say demand, you know, whatever tactic we're following, that's the wrong tactic. Our data says that's the wrong tactic. We need to change. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I yeah, I think that, I think that, I don't know that it's RevOps's job to say that. I think it's RevOps's job to provide the data to enable whoever the right person is to say that. <laughs> I think it's yeah, RevOps's no, right. job to make sure that we 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 can we can be able to be in a place to to say that. I, I, I agree. So it's an enabler. Correct. But yeah. Now it, it doesn't mean that RevOps should just be like, can you believe what the VP is doing? I mean, they are just <laughs> stupid. Ha ha ha. Right. Right. No, they're, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they, and by the way, they, they need to earn that seat at the table to, to contribute to that. But like, is it RevOps's job to say you need to change your sales structure? No, no, it's RevOps's job to say, we see that we're underutilizing the capacity of our sales by X percent. Right. But you know, there, there is a give and take. And again, to quote, you know, to paraphrase Bill, Bill Parcells, you know, if I'm the VP of sales and, you know, you're going to hold me accountable to, you know, how good sales dinner tastes and, you know, you're going to, you got to let me shop for the groceries, right? At, at yep. some point it's, it's my, it's my job to make that decision, right? It's, it's, it's senior leadership's job to determine the direction and, you know, it's, it's, Right. So, so that like it is it is a blend that's there. So yep. so the the difficulty is, you know, what here's we've talked about me being salty, right? My good see baseball coach, we're gonna circle it back. You know, my job as the bench coach, that during games, my job was bench coach. I was the bench coach. Right. Yep. And what that basically meant was when we were winning, my job was to figure out everything that could happen that would cause us to lose. And we were and when we were losing, I had to figure out everything that we had, you know, everything that we could do to get to the point where we could win. So it was a, a very fascinating experience because I was always out of phase. You know, we, we would be on a rally crushing, you know, whatever team's going crazy. And I'm of course going, well, shit. Um, 
you know, our, our pitchers at X number of pitches, the last, you know, the last six batters, four balls have been hit really hard. Right. All, all that stuff. Um, yeah. So what, what I had an understanding of was, was an understanding of what the underlying dynamics are. Right. And, and, and so let's talk about intent dynamics first. Okay. Right. So, so depending upon the market, this is a pretty standard has become a pretty standard uh, data set here. Three to 7% of your market is actively buying. So they're actively looking for whatever it is you may be selling. Now, now keep in mind why they're looking for that, why they're buying that the cause of that has occurred previous. Right. And, and what I would also say is that in that three to 7% number, the larger the purchase, the higher the risk or the more consideration involved or the more differentiation matters, the lower the percentage, the more you are towards three and maybe even under that um, in your market. So you, so you get into that 7% when it's highly commoditized. Okay. Really almost commodity light. Five to 15% are, are in a pre-consideration process. So, so they're, they're looking at things, they're, they're considering whether or not it's something that they want to take action on. So I would call it, they're in an investigative fashion. They're in a, they're in, they're in a seeking mode. Um, yep. And probably about half of those somewhere between 40 and 65% of those will ultimately enter an active um, buying mode. Okay. 30 to 50%. They're not thinking about it one way or the other. They're neutral. They're, there's other shit on their plate. They are not paying attention to it. Yep. Doesn't mean they're happy. Doesn't mean things are good. It just means it's not on their radar right now. Um, it might get brought up from time to time, but it's at best a latent issue. It's not nowhere near explicit. And then another 30 to 40% think they're happy with their current situation. They're satisfied. Now that doesn't mean they should be satisfied. That doesn't mean they're always going to be satisfied. But, but what happens is that that three to 7% is your most tangible element of the market. Right. And that, right. By the way, if you don't hit it with three to with that three to seven percent, you're in trouble because that three to seven percent is the only part of the market that's generating revenue. Right. Right. And so one of the things that has happened with the modern digital stack today is the ability to identify, manage, optimize for that three to seven percent. But that three to seven percent thinks very, very differently than the 97 to 93% that aren't actively buying and to the typically roughly 85 to 90% that's not active in any way. Right. And, and so what ends up happening, and this has always been true to a degree, but it's become even more so. And this is where tactical RevOps has made us better and weaker is we've over-optimized for that three to 7%. And, and by the way, realize that three to 7% means we're more likely than not meeting your preconceived notion of what's necessary. And, and this, by the way, is the danger of, of what has become, and in some ways, this is probably the biggest change since we started Imagine Slash Lift. When we started Imagine Slash, slash Lift, this term product market fit was talked about, but it was like, yeah, you're your product has to fit a market. There has to be a need in the market. There's, and, and it wasn't obsessed about, but now it is all about product market fit, product market fit. Yep. And, and, 
we've now built like before product market fit. Do we have founder market fit? What the fuck is that? I mean, I, I'm sorry. It's a thing. I understand that they're right. But, but I mean, honestly, seriously, here, here's what product market fit is. You hit intent. Your product is deemed to fit to high intent audiences to that three to 7%, right? Because yep. that's when revenue starts being driven. But let me tell you, when you're not getting that three to 7% and all of a sudden, have you ever, have you ever had like blood taken where like my veins are hard to get? So I've experienced this a few times. Have you ever had it where like they couldn't quite find your. I've never had that happen because I have really good veins, <laughs> but I know people who, who's that happened. Okay, that sounded a little bit like a judgment. It sounded like you just said, I don't have. I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not judging. This is what they've told me when I go to, when I go to have blood taken that I have, that I'm lucky because I have good veins. <laughs> See, I think my veins are good because they hide. <laughs> They're like, no, I'm, we're keeping our blood. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, mine, mine apparently are open to giving at any moment. <laughs> so, so you're a share. I'm a hoarder. You're I am. A share. I am. Um, so like, if you, like the only way I can <laughs> describe it is it's like, they're trying to find the vein and then all of a sudden they get it and the blood starts flowing. You're like, Oh, thank God. Cause I can't oh, breathe. Okay. Yeah. So, so like it, but it's that three to 7%. Like you've now defined your market by that three to 7%. And, and here's the thing about intent. Intent is pretty structural. Intent doesn't change. And, and what's yep. one of the best ways to get intent to find intent short-term tactics. I, I continue to see from, from the data that, I, that I've looked at, 40 to 60% of the money that gets raised by startups goes to Facebook and Google for, for ads. What is that getting? You're looking for your high intent audience. Yeah. And it starts off looking really good and your numbers start getting really good, but suddenly you can't grow. Your cost of growth shoots up. Your messaging is off. And the reason is you have over-optimized for okay. that 3 to 7%. Right. And, and here's the thing that three to 7% is so miserable. They're, they're high engagement. They're, they're highly active. They're active in multiple places. So there's third party sources that confirm what you're doing. Yep. But, but remember, unless you're selling, you know, straight commodities or, or something that's highly, highly structural, the cause of that three to 7% occurred far, far earlier. Right. So as you're optimizing to that three to 7%, you might be getting further and further away from where that value creation most exists. And you might feel like, you know, your audience better. And, and there is a period of time where in that three to 7% in that market fit phase, if the market's large enough, everything starts looking predictable. Yep. You're like, holy cow, this is like math. For every $10,000 of, of paid that we add, we get X number of this. Look, wow, this is great. Trees grow to the sky. We, we raise our next round or we add our whatever. We double our sales team. And uh-oh, guess what? Now we got to, like, we, we increase our headcount by 40% only to fall back. See, I'm not telling you don't get that 3 to 7%, but I am telling you, that you got to look at your market as three big circles. Yep. There are those people who will buy from you. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't screw it up. That's who you're built for. <laughs> if you've hit product market fit, there are people, they're going to buy from you. That's great. There are the people who won't buy from you. They're the riskiest part of the market because 
they show pretty easily. And, and by the way, what they don't like is really clear. So it's actually easier for you to identify why they're not buying from you. So you begin to identify their issues as the things you need to change. But, but here's the thing. They're not going to buy from you. You can't. You, you, RevOps's job is to help to identify that so that you pay attention to the circle of growth. The circle of growth is who are those people that aren't buying from you but should, right? What's happening with those people? How do you unlock those people? How do you begin to, to develop larger and larger segments? around those people, that's what's going to fuel your growth, right? So, yep. so you hit that, you hit that product market fit and there's the feeling of we've made it and you start again, optimizing to that, which drives an underlying level of inertia that by the time you realize it, it's too late. Yep. And by the way, that's where we see a lot of companies today. Yep. Yep. Um, so you talked about the danger of over-optimizing to that three to 7%. What are the other dangers as you, so, as you build the strategy out? So, so if, if you're in a pretty good market, if you've got a pretty good uh, TAM, it looks like it's a, it looks like you can scale, but, but what happens, and, and we have a video on this called the science of growth. What happens is as you generate more awareness, more engagement, as, as your database grows, your high intent yield decreases. It's still what gives you the most signal, but in essence, your, your, your lead quality decreases as a percentage. So you're hiring people. You think yep. your market is growing, but it's not really growing because you're, you're adding a higher level of low or a lower level of intent and a higher percentage yep. of low intent. And you keep treating that market like it's low intent. So your cost of acquisition goes up significantly. And, and very quickly, you find yourself in a really vicious pattern where no matter what you do, you can't get out of this. By the way, we've seen this at the small level and the high level. Because you've over-optimized to that high intent audience, you, you, you really have to do a big thing to break this every piece of growth that I get causes my cost of acquisition to grow. Cause the other thing that happens is you're now bigger, which means yeah. you need more revenue to support your growth. You need more. Oh, and by the way, new costs come in to be able to manage that growth because you're getting bigger. You're adding more complexity. You're beginning to enter other markets that matter. You've got, yep. you've got stronger competition where you were you know, where you were, winning a tertiary market becomes a secondary market to maybe even a primary market for your competition. And you really haven't built the strength that is there. Um, some of your product market fit is more because of what you did that was new, right? It's, and by the way, if I create, if I build something on a new technology with how fast technology is growing today, there's a natural innovative advantage that's there versus someone else right. that's, that's been around longer, like there, there's a whole bunch around novelty and I'm not taking anything away from people, but there's a whole lot of reasons why you're there. And if, if you're not balancing to that, to that other game, which we'll get to, then, you know, you're, you're, you're facing a tougher cost of, uh, cost of competition. And then I think what the biggest danger is, is you get into this phase and, and this is where 
<clears throat> this is where you, you almost, it's like, it's almost a cultural lockdown, um, which means it's really hard to break. And that is efficiency becomes whether it's stated or unstated, the framework of metric and measurement, right? So it's all about efficiency. And by the way, if you're looking to optimize that three to 7%, it is all about efficiency. Right? Yep. It, remember when product-led growth, PLG was like, you couldn't turn anywhere. I do. PLG, PLG, you need to PLG, PLG, yep. PLG. All of a sudden now, it's not so much. And there's a little bit of people saying, well, you know, PLG, like a PLG is a, is a motion that you have with. Well, well, the reason was they got into this, you know, they were in a new market. So you, a lot of tailwind. You're three to 7%. So your 3% got to 5%, got to 6%. Well, look at this. PLG is, is about as efficient as you can be. And all of a sudden, everyone started going, oh, well, you know, how do I sell my million dollar whatever, you know, million dollar whatever, that's not, I'm just going to say that's not a PLG motion, right? So, so you, everything becomes about efficiency and efficiency is nice, but, but efficiency has meaningful limitations. And, and, and the biggest thing is efficiency does not build resiliency. Efficiency erodes resilience. And resiliency is is the key to the infinite game. Yep. Right? The key to the infinite game is ensuring that you can play. That's what resiliency is. Now, if I overbalance to, resili to resiliency, I'm going to miss the opportunity to make a move. Like, yeah. I think it's wrong that, that there's, a, there's a school of people that, that say all of the layoffs basically are because of bad management, right? They, you know, anyone, anyone should have known. Now I'm going to say this, especially if you're in the game, you know, if you're playing the, I'm getting significant outside funding and I'm going down that hyper growth path. I'm yeah. going to say, unfortunately, the game that you're playing says, if you never lay anybody off, if you're never in a place where you have to lay somebody off, then yep. you left significant money on the table and you're not going to win that game, right? You've got to overplay to some degree. Now, should it be to the level that we're seeing? Eh, probably not. Probably not. Um, as a matter of fact, definitely not. But but again, it, like there, there are trade-offs to every game that you're playing. Um, but one of the dangers is, is that, and, and you're seeing these companies, they're like, they're lost because yeah. they don't know how to win in a game that's not about efficiency. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, efficiency, when I'm in an efficiency game, especially from a revenue growth standpoint, it, it means it, the fish are jumping out of the water. You know, remember I used to, remember one of my favorite lines back in when you first got here was, you know, just because the fish are jumping into your boat doesn't mean you're an angler. Yeah. Yep. Right. <laughs> I haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> yep. Um, so, what, how do you, how does RevOps put the strategy together? Like, what does this look like as you're, as you're building this out? I think it was episode five of the demand gen show. Um, we interviewed Stephen oh. Powell. Oh, okay. All uh, right. And, and, and Stephen was the, the chemical engineer who was at Barracuda and the one, when I, you know, company that, that hit it, hit it hard and successful IPO, et cetera, company that, failed so badly so quickly, they actually gave money back to their funders. Uh, yeah. And I asked them, what's the difference? And he said, honestly, the difference was luck. And, and we, got in, we got into where he talked about um, some of the people that he was friends with and that he worked with, enjoyed 
you know, playing blackjack. And, and the thing about blackjack is, and this is also true, um, I think it, it's true in craps, is you're going to go on a run, right? And, and, and the job, if you're going to play at the tables, if you're going to play blackjack, if you're going to play craps, your job is to make sure that you have enough on the table so when you get on a run, it pays off, right? You, you get to, it's worth it. Yep. But also making sure that you're never exposing so much that you won't be there when there's a run, right? And, and, and so there's three, there's really three market types, right? There's, there's, the thro- there's the frothy market, there's the difficult market, and there's the neutral market. I'm going to tell you that the neutral market and the difficult market don't often feel all that different. The frothy market is when the wind's at your back. Yep. Right. That's, you're at a run. And by the way, one of the great things about a frothy market is you're going to get growth despite yourself, not because of yourself. And you know what? Those are, those are good times. <laughs> that's, why, that's why when I was a financial advisor, I kept a sign above my office that said, never confuse brains with a bull market. Yeah. That's what yeah. a frothy market is. It is a bull market. By the way, you're going to live in more markets where there is a movement to growth as opposed to against growth. And that's why so much gets misread because left to luck alone, yeah, you're probably going to grow. And that's why we talk about, that's why you have to normalize what is profitable growth. It's not just, you know, how are you growing relative to others? What's your growth relative to cost of capital, options for capital, right? Yeah. The, the, in, in a, in a frothy market, it is all about your, your intent levels are growing. That's just what's happening. That's what the frothy market is. By the way, you can be in a bad macroeconomic, macroeconomic environment with frothy elements in there. Right. And, you know, and when you see intent percentages grow, it, it, it's addictive. Yeah. Now, now here's the thing. When you're in that market, if you're in a good place for that market, absolutely take advantage of it, right? And, and, and by the way, because it is a short-term market, because it is a high-intent market, you can, you can adjust resources pretty quickly to get those returns, right? But what you have to be careful about is you don't let that market become your game. Right. Right. When, yep. when you're in a frothy market, demand capture wins. Who can capture the most demand the fastest? And by the way, that is, you know, um, Jeffrey Moore, who created the idea of the chasm, also talked about tornado markets. Um, and one of the best examples of, of who played a tornado market well was AOL, right? When everybody in the world had five AOL installation disks. And, and oh, by the way, everyone was complaining that you were getting busy signals. The customer experience was horrible. They need to slow oh down. God. The answer was actually no, you don't, right? Because because yeah. only one person is going to get is going to come out on top, you know. And, and by the way, for anyone who says, "Yeah, but AOL failed," no, actually, AOL didn't fail. AOL sold out at the top of the market to Time Warner. Time Warner failed. Yep. So the you and by the way, you need to play demand capture, right? You need to be good at demand capture. That is the short game. Demand capture is where you generate revenue. But you need to balance demand capture with demand creation. Now, there is an argument. Can you create demand? And you know what? Technically, I'm okay to say you can't actually create demand. I'm sorry. Or you can't create an... Actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, I now understand why I was confused. You can't create intent 
you can create demand. How do you create demand? Creating demand is very educational. How do you influence markets? We talked, we talked recently about thought leadership versus insights. The problem with thought leadership is thought leadership does not create demand. Thought leadership does not change course or speed. Yep. Right. Thought leadership doesn't do any of those things. Uh, what demand creation is about is seeding your market, cultivating your market and triggering your market. Demand creation is about what do you do with low intent audit? Yep. Right? And here's the thing. You can't, you, you can't, you can't scale high intent audience. They're structural. They're, you have very little control. So by the way, a change in the market dynamic can go from a, you know, a large consistent growth in high intent to all of a sudden nowhere, right? And you have no control. And, and by the way, by the time you see that, it'll be too late. You will have invested, you know, think about the companies that invested in high intelligence SEO and now gone. The, you know, I, I, RevOps's job is to, is to ensure from a strategic standpoint, are we growing our high intent and low intent audiences ad adequately to generate the lift that we need to sustain whatever our growth objectives? Yep. Yep. All right. Lastly, I want to talk about what do you need to get right? Um, there are three things you need to get right. You know, what's your go-to-market strategy? And there, there's a whole bunch involved in this, but what's your go-to-market strategy, right? What is that guiding policy? What is the motion or motions that you're playing, right? Where, where do these fit? What are your economics, right? What are the unit economics? What are your growth economics? And I see a lot of people running with implementation that really have no clear economics. And then what, what's your model? What is the sales model? What's the customer model? What's the support model? That's going to define the framework of, of what your play is, right? So, so it's like determining what type of offense am I playing? What type of defense am I playing, right? The, the offense that's supposed to throw, get a lot of yards in the air, well, they wouldn't look very good if they're measuring themselves by rushing and, and vice versa. And, and you can see in sports, how often a team plays or judges itself on a game differently than the game that they're playing. And, and oh, by the way, it, any game you choose has advantages and disadvantages, right? There, there are like one of my favorite things is, you know, this is a, this is a team that, you know, as long as they keep the game close, um, they've got a great chance of winning, but, but they're really bad at coming from behind. Yep. Well, that's probably based on the personnel, the assets and the restraints that they have, right? If I start going, oh no, we have to figure out, we got to play a game that lets us come from behind, but, but I don't have the personnel, I don't have the resources for that, then I'm, I'm not even going to have the chance to win. Right. All right, cool. I have a couple of uh, key takeaways. Um, one, uh, I think your observation of, you know, RevOps is getting better from a tactical standpoint, but getting weaker from a strategic standpoint is spot on. The, the more content that comes out, the more we're seeing that. Um, be wary of over-optimizing for that three to 7% that are, that are active in, in, the, in the buying cycle. Don't over-optimize to that. And then um, 
I think talking about all of the market types and just making sure you're paying attention to the market and take advantage where you can when you have that frothy market, you have that wind at your back is is critical. I would agree. I would agree, Jeff. Cool. I think yeah. I, th- I think you summed it up well there. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, thanks everybody. Until next time. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. We got to give you a time. I'm going to give you a signal next time so you can try to get it. I think I'm on time. I think you have a delay. <laughs> uh, you know what? I should probably listen to the recording one day. You shouldn't. <laughs> Until next time, everybody. That's a wrap on this episode of the RevOps show. RevOps job is to provide the context and insights from the data necessary for different groups to do what they need to do. Their job is to point out the indicators of a change that needs to be made or if something's working or not working. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Leave us a review and share the episode. If you have any questions you would like to ask Doug or Jess about strategy and RevOps role in it, email me at hannah at liftenablement.com or hit us up on Twitter at Demand Creator. Until next time, remember, can't solve your upstream problems downstream.